I'm sitting here with Rabbi Remy and Mrs. Rifka Klein, whose precious daughter Malki, Aleha Shalom, passed away earlier this year. Rather than mourning seclusion, the Kleins have valiantly stepped forward out of the shadows of anonymity and shared their story with the public at large in order to prevent such tragedies from occurring ever again. It is truly an honor for me to sit with you today and discuss the world of Malki Aleha Shalom. Let's start. When did you realize that the Chinuch Road from Malki would be, let's say, bumpy? Chinuch Road is always bumpy. It's never smooth. Chinuch is about navigating the bumps. Every child is different. Every day is different. Morning and night is different. And parental instinct helps you navigate those bumps in regular chinuch. In Malki, this was, everything was normal as normal can be. No, no different than any other child. The regular chinuch bumps, the regular issues, the regular problems, the regular complaints, the regular good days, the regular bad days until it ultimately came to what I would call a chinuch derailment. It was something completely different, something unexpected, and something that I would say nothing prepares you for it. What comes to mind is when 9-11, when it happened, and people just jumped out of the windows because they couldn't take the heat from the building and even though they knew they were jumping basically to their end. So Malki also, it was like like she jumped off a cliff. Um, there wasn't much that, it was like from almost from one minute to the next basically. Um, at age 15, that's when she jumped she had enough of all her pain and struggles and suffering. Were you aware that she was in pain before she jumped, in your words? Not to that level. That we learned more once we embarked this journey with her. But the year before that, or a year and a half before that, when she was supposed to, um, we were looking for a high school for her, and she was having a hard time getting into a high school. And then when she finally did get accepted into a high school. And then um, her, the day of graduation, of eighth grade graduation, we got a call that she's unaccepted into the high school. And we didn't want to let her know, tell her that she doesn't have a high school. We didn't want her to know during the summer. So we were trying to get her into high school and she, we were not successful. So beginning of the school year of ninth grade, she still didn't have a high school. And then within short time, she got accepted into a high school. And then within a couple of days, that high school threw her out. And for three months, we were searching for a high school and we couldn't find, find a high school for her. And I would say that's when they completely broke her. True, in the winter she finally got into high school, but it was too late. 
the damage was done beyond repair. So who was it that you turned to once you realized that your daughter was at the cliff or had already taken a step or two off? Someone, we got somewhat of a crash course. It was Erev literally. It was, I think, an hour before Sukkot here. We have a whole family. We're from house, after all. And we have a girl at home that, at least at that point, we understood, or all we saw, that she embarked on a different path. And then Matzid, the first days of Yontav, we went to the Kula Daba, and we spent there a few hours. We didn't really go for guidance at that time. Um, we didn't know why we were going, actually. We went because, I guess we went to cry our hearts out. It was interesting because all the people that we mentioned, the names that we spoke already, he seemed to have known them all. Um seem to have even known what they understand, you know, their knowledge and where they would be experts, etc. And it was 2 a.m., I remember, and he said, I'm going to put you in touch with somebody. For your situation, this is the person you need. Um, and 2 o'clock in the morning, um, he just like, it's like he had this Rolodex, you know, just like called um, Avi Fishoff. Um, the next day, we uh, Avi got in touch with us, and he was, um, I think, out of town. Um, he was away for Yontav with his family. He made up to just leave his family wherever they are, and driving back to New York, met us at nine, nine o'clock at night, I think it was, and we sat with him till five a.m. The one thing that Abba told us then, he says, whatever Avi will tell you. Listen, listen dearly, absorb, get it into yourself, and follow everything. So you went into it, from what I, I'm hearing, blindly, and at your Rebbe's advice, but was it, how long did you go in the blind, just by faith, and when did you start seeing results and your efforts were bearing fruit? that happened was that we actually, by the time we left, it was no longer just blind faith. That was before we even got home. For whatever a person can consume or process within such a period of time, all that volumes of information to a subject, a sogia that is completely new, that takes some time to dissect, and to process, at a minimum, we came a way of understanding that there is a path, there is a way. Um, it's not simply a hodgepodge of trying everything and anything and see what sticks. There's a path, there's an understanding, and um, and Be'ezus Hashem, um, there will be atzlacha. But when, you, when you're asking about bearing fruit, it is interesting because I find this to be like a fruit tree um, where every day um, there will be new fruit and you would harvest that fruit. It's not all in one, not all in one shot. You would say from that perspective, we saw immediate results. I would say the first result 
there was tranquility in the house. There was peace in the house. There wasn't like this like lost feeling, this frustration, like what are we doing, where are we going? We, we felt safe, at least finally we're being guided and um, we're being helped and someone is holding our hands. Rabbi Fishoff has this method that bears instantaneous results and relieves stress and tension from the home. How much does he charge for his services? Hmm. Priceless. <laughs> It's, it's priceless, and he charges, he gives his heart, um, he gives it all, and he charges nothing. I've not met a person that literally gives away his life, it's unbelievable. I get the feeling more people should emulate him. There's not enough, um, unfortunately, there's not enough. I, I have to add... I never met a tzaddik like, like him, humble. Like tzaddik and a pasha Yid, you would say doesn't go together. In his case, he's a simple Jew. And as a matter of fact, he would love to change the world. He would love to help everyone. He wishes he can help more. It pains him when he knows about families who are going through so much pain and doing things different and causing more pain and he wishes he could be there but he can only do what he can do. So why do you think there aren't more people taking advantage of his free services than are already? I don't know exactly. I think it takes some knowledge to get knowledge. There is... um, I think there may be misconception by some. Never by anyone that actually knows it, learned it, spent time. But really by people that don't know anything about it and respond to snippets of information. Let me correct that. Snippets of misinformation. And um, it's unfortunate, but it is what it is. Um, but I think it's um, it's really anybody that cares. It's a responsibility to actually go figure out, research what is there out there, whether it's for a fee or not for a fee. In most cases, if not all, uh, we deal with pukoch nefesh, real pukoch nefesh. It's not a question. So everything needs to be explored. And I would simply advise everybody to look at each other and see what they do and nash from each other and see how they can improve on each other. In our situation, um, because I mentioned previously that Malki jumped off the cliff, it was almost like, it's funny I should say a gift, but it made it easier realizing that we need help. I I see something very interesting. Um, You've mentioned that 
you keep saying we need help as the parent. Did you not have Malki see somebody? Why, but it's astounding that you're saying that, that you needed help as the parents. That's not the conventional attitude. When a child jumps off the cliff, usually the parents are immediately blaming the child and sending them off for help. But, but here you're saying that you're the ones who needed help. Well, why is that? Because the picture is not right. So um, apparently what we're doing is something we should go find out what we should do from here forward. The one thing we did not want to do is do what we don't know. Everything we knew was out the window. We needed to go Lidris Hashem. That's what we needed to do. And Avi ended up being the Shliach. We also, we saw pain. We saw our child screaming pain because the behavior was visible that something happened to her. I mean, there is no regular child just decides to... You have to be actually very strong to say, I can't do this anymore. There was another thing there. I mean, we knew that roughly a year, year and a half earlier, she had this, I'm going to call it a severe trauma with the school issue. When this happened, when she was thrown out of high school from being there a few days, we were sent to somewhere... They, they take help parents in situations like that. And the person on the phone, um, she makes a phone call and she tells the other person on the other line, we have a teen at risk. And at that time, we were looking at her like teen at risk. I mean, all she was is thrown out of school. I mean, hopefully within a few days, we'll find a new school for her. And she actually called that principal. She said, if you don't fix this issue, you will have blood on your hands, is what were the actual words she said. And we felt the responsible thing to do is to go out and ask. Having a close confidant, as well as a Rebbe, was helpful too. And that led us to professional help. For how long were you active members of the Twisted Parenting support group so we were active members close to six years in the beginning we went very frequent um, a couple of times a week once twice a week to meetings um, with time when we learned how it works we slowed down sometimes but we tried to continue going for others that joined after us to give them strength and support and guidance to help sharing in our progress. So even though you figured out how to deal with your daughter, you went to groups to support and encourage other parents who were beginning the journey. It, it's more than just figuring out. Um, twisted parenting is not something you figure out. Twisted parenting is something you become... It's, a, it's a, a different way of thinking. It's a true way of thinking. It's thinking 
it helps you as much as possible to think from your child's perspective. So the more you understand your child, the more you truly understand your child, the easier it is to help and deal with them properly, respectfully. So apparently, twisted parenting is not so twisted after all. You uh, sank into addiction. You availed yourself to several rehab facilities and addiction experts. How was that experience for you and for her on its own and in light of your following a revolutionary methodology called twisted parenting? Once you follow twisted parenting, or TP, as it's called in short, those two... The word you and twisted parenting is really an oxymoron. When you say you availed yourself, it wasn't us. It was actually the process of twisted parenting that allowed for Malki to get to that point of availing herself. Malki was the one who availed herself. She was the one who decided that it's time for her to go to rehab, where she felt that she cannot fight that addiction by herself. And it was us as a team that were there to support her, cheer her on. As a matter of fact, when she arrived to rehab, and within 24 hours, she was like, I'm not staying here. I'm coming home. And of course, we were worried, because she herself admitted that she needs help. So by then we knew that she, this is what she feels. So we knew that, I don't know how safe it is for her to come back home. But then again, we knew that she's the one that calls the cards. Um, if she wants to come home, then she's welcome to come back home. And we told her, we're coming to get you. You're welcome to come back. And she actually said the reason why she ended up not coming home and decided to pull it through was because we said that. And we meant it. As worried as we were, we meant it. We can't make her do nothing. I remember going back a few years before that when she wasn't in school and she was mandatory to go to some kind of out, outpatient program rehab and she was saying, I don't understand why they send me to such a place. I mean, now I'm going to such a place. I'm meeting a bunch of people that are just like me, doing drugs. All I have is more addresses and more places to know where to get the stuff. I mean, why they, you can't make someone do something. You can't send someone, tell someone you got to go to rehab. You know, there's this famous phrase, which... To me, it made no sense. How does somebody else's uh, tzara, how does somebody else's pain help you in any shape or form? TP actually put some sense into it. The message, once we got the methodology, once we understood the depth of what our responsibility as parents are and how to look at things, we were able to empathize completely and totally as much as humanly possible with our child. And the moment that your child feels that you really truly empathize, 
um, it brings you to a point of um, sending them the message, really, of Imai Enoichi Bitsuda. I'm not going to say on tape that I feel your pain because I got whacked for that many years ago by Malki, not to ever say that, but at least to a certain degree. So I, I'm thinking of TP as transfer of pain, which is true empathy, allowing them to somehow, through a more relaxed uh, perspective, um, to look to help themselves. It seems from, from what you're saying that it was an open uh, understanding between you and, and the Malki that she was in pain, that you made a comment that you felt her pain. So she didn't hide from that fact, and, and she openly expressed herself as being in pain. And how and when did that revelation come to be, come to be open? I would say quite immediately. I'm not going to say within hours, within minutes, or maybe days, but relatively immediate. Um, after we took on a different approach, an approach of understanding and showing her, um, it's not so much just showing her, it's really trying to understand her. It's all about you. It's totally not about the child. When we really wanted to understand her is when she really opened up. As long as it's a superficial message, there is nothing that is going to break through when it's real, when you really want to understand. Because if you can't get to a problem, obviously you can't fix a problem. So instinct, the parent wants to know what the problem is. In many cases, they just want to, okay, how can we make the problem go away? Twisted parenting is not so much how do we get the problem to go away. It's more, how do we understand where the child is right now? Which is, leads to the same thing, but it's uh, looking at it from a very different perspective. And that goes through and through. That penetrates, it permeates. And when they feel it, when the child feels, feels it, they will open up, they will talk. Conversations went for hours and hours till the wee hours of the morning explaining everything. Everything that she has gone through from when she was a little child as far as she was able to remember. That things go relatively okay for them. Want to get up in the morning, wanna, whatever it is that they do with their day. Whether they go to school, whether they go to work, whether they go with friends, whatever, they go to the gym, they do things with their life. But someone who has no interest in doing anything with their life is very black and white that this person is suffering. Healthy people want to function and a dysfunctionality is a, a sign of some underlying reason, of some underlying cause. As a matter of fact, now that I'm thinking about it, she once told me pretty much in those days Daylight is very painful. Me, she told me at one point in time, um, all I did today is brush my teeth. So she didn't feel good about it. She knew that doing nothing is a very... She felt bad about it. 
So just, it, I just can't get myself to do it. And, and someone who can't get themselves to do something, it's, it's just there, I guess. And that must have been heartbreaking for you as parents to hear and to see how, how did you deal with your own pain? I would say our pain was strictly seeing our child in pain. We didn't, we have pain, but the pain was because our child is suffering. It wasn't our own pain. It was in pain because your child is in pain. Maybe it was pain, but maybe it was personal pain. I wouldn't know it was, the other pain was overwhelming. Seeing that your child is in pain, seeing that your child somehow is dysfunctional because of simply afraid to start something because she's afraid she's going to fail. And how do you over, how do you help her overcome that? And it's not like she didn't have therapy. It was just a whole lot to overcome for her. It was years and years and years of a embedded um, message of uncapable, which seemed to have just collapsed over her. But at that point in time, it was just tough. It was very hard. It became better later, but it was always a struggle. She, she even because we built this close connection with her and we truly cared and loved her from deep inside, um, she said many times she was willing to... She wanted to give up. She couldn't fight this anymore. But she says, I can't do this for mommy and tati. I can't do this. Mommy and tati are going to be in so much pain if I give up. I have to fight it for them. And that was because we truly... Nafshai kshora benafshai. That's what we had with her. So, so it sounds that she was able to deal and manage her pain because of your love. She didn't want to disappoint us. I don't know, she didn't manage her pain because the pain was there. She just, she felt our love, so she didn't want to let us down. But she fought, she fought on, she continued. She fought, she fought on, she even, she even have it, has it in her, some of her writings in rehab in different places that she told friends that one of the biggest reasons she fights is because of appearance. And she even has a picture where she posts um, something on Instagram or Facebook, I'm not sure. Um, and it says, because um, all her pictures are usually more s- serious, like she doesn't smile. And she always used to say, I like that pose, I like that pose. And then at one picture she smiles and she wrote underneath, Mom and Dad love when I smile, so I'm doing that for them. So you, you imbued her with life and happiness to an extent that was possible for somebody who suffered so much. It's truly amazing. Right, let's be frank, would you consider your daughter to have been religious? The first impression, it looks like she definitely threw the whole religion out the window. And it looked like she was somewhat angry at God. She even at one point said, um, how can God 
let someone suffer so much. As a matter of fact, when when, the, when we were saying before about her not getting into a school, and we were trying to do things for her to get into a school, and we went to see someone, and that someone told her to say to her for 40 days, and after 40 days she'll get into the school, and she didn't still at the, at the 40th day, and she was at that time again saying, I'm trying, I'm praying to God, maybe he doesn't exist. And then as she was slowly healing, so to speak, due to our relationship with her, she actually became very spiritual, and she always said everything happens from God. She even once referred to a leaf doesn't fall off the tree, of the branch, if God doesn't want it to. And she would always give all her friends that also struggled she was the one that encouraged them and tell them, it's from God, it's from God, we got to fight it. We don't understand why, but everything comes from God. Basically what you're saying is that you, you had a completely irreligious child in a religious home, and still the level of your relationship was nafshay kshura b'nafshay, soul bound to a soul. So that is basically what learning this new way of living, what training is all about. And that is the twisted parenting training you're referring to. Yes. Say that, yeah. Amazing. How many siblings are are there? Malki has four siblings. She has um, three older and one younger. How did having her in the house and as a respected member of the family affect her siblings, both older and younger? Um, let's not kill ourselves. It affects. It affects everyone. When a family is struck with a challenge, something out of the unusual, when you sometimes have a child, a sick child at home with cancer, um, there is a lot of organizations that help out that family to cheer up the children. They do Hanukkah parties, they do Shabbatons, they send them to Disneyland, they take them to toy stores, they buy gifts for the kids, because they understand that a family that's going through a difficult challenge with even one particular child in the family, the rest of the family feels it. And you've got to do something to help the other children, the other family members. Alleviate some of the... The pain the and the, the not regular routine. Turmoil. Right. Um, and in this particular situation, which is, makes it much harder, um, there isn't. There is no organizations. There is no one that comes in. I don't know, if because they don't understand or whatever the reason is. And it makes it so much harder because everything falls on the family, on the parents, to do everything by themselves. And it's definitely for the siblings also a new adjustment to learn how to deal and cope. A crisis is a crisis. I'm going to say in all cases, because those are the only cases that I know, from the hundreds of people that I have met over the last six years, 
um, with their children, there was always a underlying something which caused the child to seek relief, so to speak. When there's trauma, there's a whole lot of craziness that comes along with it. It has a an effect. It can have a terrible negative effect if you don't somehow figure out how to um, deal with it properly so it doesn't turn the whole house upside down and turn the whole family into a long-term crisis. What was the effect of you following a mahalach that some deem as extreme on the siblings, but in particular the younger sibling, who tend to look up to an older brother or sister? Using antibiotics for a common cold is extreme, but proper for a bacterial infection. If you have a child that doesn't keep Shabbos and you fight with them about putting on a black hat because that's going to make your family look good, that's extreme. In all cases, maybe most, or I think all cases, it doesn't have a good ending. But giving your child the space to find themselves emotionally and eventually find spirituality, that's proper. That's not extreme at all. As to siblings, yes, it has effect on them. It has some negative effect. They become adultified relatively quick. They lose some of their naivete. There's things going on in the house. But ultimately, it doesn't really negatively affect them long term. As a matter of fact, they really grow from the chaos, as weird as it might sound. I will also add to this question that in our situation, at least, this is how we experienced it that the children living at home, because they lived the situation, it was also clear to them that their sibling is in pain and is struggling and it's not the norm and to be there for her. Could be that it was this particular child, maybe not everyone has the same experience, versus the children not living at home, do not live with the situation the whole day and don't see it, they might sometimes have it a little more difficult adjusting because they don't actually live it a whole day. They, yeah, they respond more to information, learning rather than actually living. You mentioned how this episode had an overwhelmingly positive effect on your other children, how they grew from it. How did it affect you as parents, as individuals, as, as Jews, aside from frequent flying and apparently never sleeping? Relatively in the beginning, when the sleepless nights was more about not knowing where Malki is, what is she up to, and things like that. It was sleepless nights out of anxiety, um, nervousness, but we built an amazing relationship very quickly and 
where we no longer had sleepless nights really because of anxiety or things, because we always knew where she is. We knew where she, when she's going. We knew when she's coming. It was the most transparent relationship anybody can ever have. Um, I used to drive her. I used to pick her up and she's the one that came home at two, at one, when I was expecting for her to come up four, five, six in the morning and her friends didn't come home with her. They stayed out. So whenever I did arrive home, it gave me somewhat of a pretty peaceful the rest of the night if there was anything left. But later on, the sleepless nights was more because she was in the West Coast, I was in the East Coast, and it was just because we used to schmooze for hours on the phone. So I would any time trade that off with sleep. The best that could happen was personal growth. Personal growth and spirituality. I've connected to the Bible in ways never before. And not because there was an issue or a trouble that caused me to run there to ask. It was more because of getting, becoming a deeper person, because I needed to become a deeper person and be able to dissect things in a much more, in a much, to a much finer degree than ever before, just to be able to understand Malki better and be there for her, which has just changed me in every, in every way. I would say, you're saying lack of sleep. Um, we wish that that lack of sleep is the lack of sleep we have today. We have much more lack of sleep today than we had at that time lack of sleep. At that time, lack of sleep was at least a good feeling to be in touch with Malki. Um, and same as him, I also grew very connected and close to the Vanishladam. We knew that we have to continue to cope. So therefore, we had to sort of let go and let God give over everything to the Ivishter. And I told Ivishter, she's yours now. I don't know where she is. I don't know how unsafe she is. And um, take care of her. Bring her home safe. As a matter of fact, there was one time she was on a train the crazy hours of the night, to such a level that she herself was scared, and she would be with us on the phone the whole time because she said that um, she's she's scared. Are there any seminal moments in along this journey that you'd like to share with us? If I understand the question correctly, um, what comes to mind is. Um, that at first what looks like your child is rebellious actually you learn so fast that your child is the sweetest child on earth the moment I can think of the moment that comes to mind the tipping point the turning point something that changed the core of our relationship was at the moment where we both found, more so Malki, complete trust in our relationship. 
when there was no hiding, there was no lying. The relationship was so open and that we, the home became for her the most comfortable environment. The place where if she didn't need to be elsewhere, home would be the place for her to be. It was in the relatively early stages. She was going to all different kind of clubs. And I remember that one day that she wasn't going to be home for, I don't know till when. I remember that she went and there was no plan of even a return at that time. And she called, asked her, what happened? It, uh, the night is still young. I actually was like kidding with her. She said, and, and what's with your friends? And she said, no, my friends are staying. And um, I asked, what about you? And she said, no, I've had enough. Um, so I, I don't remember exact conversation, but the most important she was going to stay out, actually. She was going to stay sleep over somewhere else. And the way she responded was, my home, my room, my bed. And to me, that was, or to us, that was a really lasting impression. It was like, this is her home. There's not, this is what she considers the most comfortable place on earth for her. And... Um, and it was all about based on trust, being able to trust each other. That's astounding, considering that most children who are on different paths than their parents can't stand being in the home. And here it seems that Malki abandoned her friends to their ways and came home. That was her default position, to be at home. I'll tell you, it's even more astounding that even... Many children that are on the same path as their parents, <laughs> there's a certain percent, a certain percentage of distance, lack of trust. What were some of the adjustments you made in your life and in your home in order to help your monkey cope with the pain brought upon her by others? Instead of looking back, at the pain that was brought to her by others and focusing on our anger, we decided to move forward and look ahead of us instead of looking back. So as, as much as sometimes looking back and being able to deal with certain things that caused the pain, where that might be part of the healing, that wasn't our main focus, first focus, or any focus at that time. The first thing we needed to do is get our environment to a point where um, she can relax, she can feel good, she can feel at home, she can grow, she can heal to the point where she might need to or not need to tackle along with our help certain um, things that might have happened, certain traumas that might have happened in the past. It may or may not be necessary. Maybe down the road she would see a therapist. Maybe it would be part of it. Maybe not. 
our adjustment was to give her that space. After all, we're from house. And there's Shabbos and there's Yantav and there's Kashrus and there's everything in this house. And it's a major adjustment to be able to create an environment of coexistence for your child's sake in order to be able to give her that space desperately needed for her to be able to heal and become better and grow and grow to the point of um, becoming a healthier person. In all the six years you were following guidance of Twisted Parenting, was Malki aware that you were seeking guidance and that you were being helped by an outside source? It was later that she found out through a particular story. But by that time, Twisted Parenting was us. We were Twisted Parenting. It was... I'm gonna, almost going to say that we weren't really going so much for guidance at that time. It was more to help and give other people support. Of course, giving other people support gives you yourself support. But um, so that was, I'm going to say, about two plus years after we first started going to Avi that she actually found out. As it turned out, after the fact... Um, we had no issue at all. As a matter of fact, it worked in our best interest. She sat us down like a lawyer would, right? And said, I need to discuss something with you. You guys go to parenting classes? <laughs> it came about because at that time she had a dog. And she heard back from somebody that was in group at the same time as we were in group, and don't think that her name was mentioned, maybe the dog's name was mentioned. It's a little bit unclear to me. So she was like, and if you are going to parenting classes, and you are, it's supposed to be confidential, and if it's not confidential, why are you going? She was like, in a very calm way, she was expressing herself um, of what seemingly we're doing wrong. Because she said that we don't really need parenting because we are the best parents, so why you need to go to parenting? First, we didn't say anything. We just like let her say her whole finish, her whole speech. And I think I remember we paused. I mean, it was a pause in, in response. It was like, okay, how do I handle it? A minute ago, I was thinking that the best thing is that she does nothing. Um, not because, in a way, I'm going to say that we were to a degree self-propelled and, you know, but it was just like, what's the point? I didn't want it to think it is it, it, that we're genuine, not genuine. I didn't want to give her any cause for, for concern. And, um, but once she asked those questions, I actually complimented her. I don't remember whether in the beginning or the end, I compliment her for the way she sat us down and the way she's handling this. You know, I thought it was very grown up, but I think it was more towards the end. But I said, yeah, we go there. And we went there. And as much as you think that we are great parents, when things change and things are different, um, everybody needs to learn. Everybody needs to go to learn. We wanted to make sure 
that we are the best parents in the world. You want to make sure that we stay the best parents in the world. I can't remember, it's a few years ago, of all the words, but generally that was the message. So yes, we weren't going to make mistakes. We weren't going to just decide what to do, how to do, you know, between... It's, it was an open relationship at that time, a lot of trust, so it wasn't like uh, an elephant in the room where I'm from, you're not, you know, that it was there. Yeah, we need to know how to handle the things differently. And um, what we've learned, and we give, give over to others, and we help others, and some parents are struggling, they don't know how to deal with um, this situation in the house. It's just, well, why are our names mentioned? And isn't it supposed to be confidential? And meetings are supposed to be confidential. Uh, AA meetings are confidential. She already went to meetings at that time, and we told her it's very true that nobody should be repeating outside of the room what's happening in the room. I mean, I cannot hide my identity, and of course it's very hard to not slip a, a name or, and all that, but it's definitely not intentional, and we apologized. And we said we'll make sure, you know, not to ever do that again. And it's just, okay, basically, if you're going there and you're helping other people, and that's what it's about, and you are, just make sure you don't mention my name, you can go. So it became a very um, positive thing. She actually saw it as a very positive thing that when you want to learn something, you go out there and you're vulnerable, right? We showed vulnerability, which is the best thing you can show to a, to a child that you are just as vulnerable as anybody as they are, um, which allows them to seek help too. And she saw that as very positive. She um, basically gave us the blessing, so we're able to go. We, I sometimes used to repeat things. It added to an open relationship. It didn't have a negative effect of her thinking that anything is 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 not that something is not genuine. Everything stayed as good or better. As a matter of fact, now she was able to trust us. There was something we were hiding from her. And at that point in time, there was no more hiding on that either. This is going to be a touchy subject, but all things considered, now that Malki is gone, do you feel that uh, Twisted Parenting was the right mahalach for you and that you were successful by following it? It is touchy. But to respond to that, I would need to actually break down success in bits and pieces. Success doesn't come in only one form. It doesn't only come in one cookie-cutter form. Success is defined by everybody in every situation differently. But in reference to success as far as Malki is concerned, I'll break it down to many steps or multiple successes. Looking back a couple of years ago, roughly six years ago, when everything exploded, we were talking to a child that was completely irreligious, completely denying everything, 
because that was her pain. That was the way she was dealing with her pain at that moment. There was no kosher. There was nothing. Through becoming TP, Twisted Parents, and really understanding her and giving her the space, Malki was successful in being able to rehabilitate herself on multiple levels. Let's just touch kosher for a moment. When she went to rehab, they were supposed to be kosher, actually on an airplane food type of kosher. So with Mr. Nefesh, she actually cooked for herself her own food. In the rehab. In the rehab. She was only 17. There was a time earlier than that where she went to some weekend festival of music, music festival, uh, which was on Shabbos. It was Friday, Friday night, Shabbos, Shabbos by day. And the, the last time they went out to eat was on Thursday night, kosher restaurant. And Sunday morning she called saying she's famished because she hasn't eaten since Thursday night. And I didn't know at that time that, she's, um, that she wouldn't touch anything else but kosher because there was a time earlier that she wasn't eating kosher. And um, she said she wouldn't never touch that. So Mamish Messias Nefesh, she, all she had was water since Thursday night until Sunday morning. Is that success? I think it is. When she had the ability to do that, she did that because she her had a certain belief system that kicked in. Um, between, uh, you know, being in rehab between Goyim, she took it upon herself to light um, Shabbos lecht, Shabbos candles, she took it upon herself on an earlier date, but she didn't let go. So there were many, many successes. There was a success where she was looking forward to life, where earlier she wasn't. She was looking to be clean, where earlier she wasn't. She was looking to go to a rehab to become better, where earlier she wasn't. Um, she went 13 months plus clean after rehab, if you look at the statistics of rehabs and defining success, I once asked the rehab, what's your success rate? And I said 30-something percent. And I knew that that number is way out of line with what's known, commonly known, as a rehab success rate. And I asked them, how do you define success? And I said, 12 months clean, we call it success. Because we only track it for 12 months. So even though Malki is no longer with us, unfortunately, she is a statistical success for a rehab. During this time, she got a job. During this time, she developed her art more. During this time, she was building a resume. She was looking forward to life. She was looking forward to get married. She was taking photography, a photography course. She was taking photography course. She did photography. So she was really building on her life. 
if we think back a couple of years, she was in bed all day. Um, so, were there successes? Absolutely. Did we reach the ultimate success? The success that we as humans see as the ultimate success? The way we see it, no. But as maminim, we don't. We just don't know what Hashem's plans were, and why. And if she was having all these successes, why couldn't it just go over the top? That's hard to understand. So yes, everything that we have done has allowed her to continuously be successful again and again and again. It was always two steps forward, three steps forward, maybe ten steps forward and one step back. Unfortunately, this one step back this time around was fatal. Unintentional, but fatal. I would maybe add also one of her successes is that um, she grew tremendously spiritual and she, amongst her many spiritual growth, one of them was she was very connected to the song Hamalach HaGoyal. She loved Hamalach HaGoyal. She said that, first of all, it reminded her when she was a little girl and I used to put her to sleep and um, I would sing with her Hamalach HaGoyal. So that had a special feeling in her and she would sing it to herself every night and it meant to her a lot. So that I would also add to one of her successes. Sorry to ask another painful question, but as parents looking back over this journey and how it ended, do you have any regrets or anything you wish you would have done differently had you had the opportunity? I, I would say regrets is also a bad place to go to because it, you don't gain anything from having regrets. On the contrary of regrets, yeah, the only good feeling that I'm left with is that we tried to be there for Malki and make her life as comfortable as possible. And we knew that she's in a lot of pain and that she's suffering. And at least we never added to her pain and her suffering. And therefore, I have to say that that's in our good conscience about not having regrets. Again, as I said, regrets, the reason why it's not good to go there, because yes, the parents, we always have guilt in us, and we always regret, and we always wish, if I could have, why didn't I? So I, if I want to give a message, actually, um, sort of by us, it's like sort of too late, but don't stop, don't stop. Just do, and do, and do. So you don't, that you should never have to have regrets. I agree, I don't want to go to a place of regret, but if I need to look for it, or need to define it, or I need to be able to tell others, there's a long list of, should I want to go there, I would call regrets. And that is what Rivka just touched on. For example, 
initially when Malki was in the West Coast, we were traveling every second week for sure, sometimes even sooner. At certain times we spent their time, we spent weeks. Um, sometimes we switched out uh, where uh, my wife was there for a while and then I went for a while. Sometimes we were there weeks on end. But we really paid attention. It was um, an atten- intensive care. Uh, once we found her in a better state, looking for jobs, looking for going to school and all that, I must say that to a degree we relaxed a little more. Um, we didn't travel so often. We, in a way, found an excuse not to travel now, but next week. Uh, we're coming anyway f- at this time, so we won't do it now. We'll do it in two weeks. And things like that. And if I look back and think back, and if I need to look f- for regrets, I don't need to look far. I'll find them very quickly. It's all those times that I didn't go. It's all those times that I would have gone in an earlier state and I didn't go then. It's hard to know what causes what and what made drove her downwards versus upwards. It's hard. And I'm not going to let that um, get to us or get to me. But you never give up. You never think about your child, okay, it's better, let's go back to, to normal. It is, they are in a matzav apakuach nefesh for a long, 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 long time. And you really have to think, not twice, many, many times more than twice, before you start relaxing. And not being... Really, their condition literally goes like this, up, down, up, down. I could be talking to her, I could have been talking to her, and she could have told me like a great news, something really happy. And then I would tell him, you know, I just spoke to Malki and she told me this and that. And like he says, yeah, it's, it's already finished. She's already changed her mind. She's already not doing this or that. So you think, oh, wow, great. Things are looking great. And then boom, five minutes later, they're not looking so great. So basically one of your messages to parents is not to be lulled into complacency due to the successes that we encounter along the way, but rather to use it as inspiration to continue pouring in an effort that's required in somebody in a precarious situation. I would say I would take it even a step further. If you've seen those minimal successes, if you've seen those incremental successes, double your effort, triple your effort, quadruple your effort. You You see your efforts paying off. You see it. Your child truly, truly needs you. At, to, to, at the end, Malki was home for a few days before her untimely passing. Can you share with us some of the events and memories of those last few days you shared with her? It was actually very interesting. Um, because Malki was talking about moving back. Um, she was planning like in a couple of months she would like to move back. And it was a Friday just random, I know it's close to Shabbos, and I want to call to Talaga Chavez. So I called to Talaga Chavez, and she's telling me she's packing up. And I'm like, where are you going? So she goes, I'm moving back to New York. And I'm like, I knew that that's a plan, but I didn't know that it's happening within a couple of days. 
So she says, yeah, I'm done with LA. I'm moving back. I want to live closer to you guys. I don't want to live so far anymore. I want to be closer to home. So she, so we made plans. First for Shabbat, she moved out to um, our Chabad friends in California. And from there, we made plans for her to move back. And she ended up arriving the following Friday, close to Shabbos. And, and everything seemed to work out amazing, and she, she found an excellent friend to move with her to share an apartment. They found an apartment. It would be a perfect partnership because this friend wasn't struggling with drug addiction, so we were happy for that, and she was so happy that this is working out, how she found a partner in an apartment in a great location. She was going to move to Crown Heights, and she... she um, her siblings happened to step in to visit her. Also coincidental, because even the siblings from Lakewood happened to come into Brooklyn, so they were like visiting her, and they were like happy to see her. And at, it was at one point I was like baking challahs, and she pinged happened to come into the kitchen, and I was like offering to her if she wants to take challah, because I wouldn't like call her from the room, but I knew she didn't mind doing religious things. But so she happened to be in the kitchen, and she goes, "Yeah, sure, why not? Let me." do that and while she's taking challah she's saying isn't it like a very big moment when you take challah and you can ask for so many things I always hear people say let's bake challah because this one needs a refuah and this one needs a shaddach and this one needs this and this one needs that so my daughter said yeah throughout the whole baking procedure you can think of things and ask for things and she's busy saying I'm envisioning my perfect man and I'm teasing her that that doesn't exist and she's um She's saying, so all I'm picturing is a man that should be good to me, a simple man, and I should be good to him. And um, and as a matter of fact, she even had that same day that this happened, when she was taking challah, she had a relapse, she an overdose, and thank God we, she was she came back. Um, but a lot of amazing things happened. In those few days, um, another gift we had this whole past year um, that we spent, we traveled a lot with her. Um, on Hanukkah, she decided that she wants to spend with us, be with us. She always said that Hanukkah is her favorite holiday. She loved Hanukkah. So last year, Hanukkah, she was the whole Hanukkah here with us. We went with her skiing, and we had a Hanukkah party by a sibling, and we spent Shabbos Hanukkah, we went to Manhattan with her, to Chabad. And then she, her nephew had Upsharon, and she just she said that she's not missing this nephew's Upsharon. She flew in special for this nephew's Upsharon. And there was a cousin's wedding, and she said she's not missing this cousin's wedding, and she came for this cousin's wedding. Mm-hmm. And then Purim, I was thinking, I had my mother's side, and she was thinking... And I was thinking to go to Israel for the Yotzite, and I'm like starting to tell her, you know, I'm thinking to go for Purim to Israel. And I'm like in the middle of the sentence, and she jumped in, and she says, I'm coming along. And of course, that gave me more incentive to go ahead and go do this trip, because every time she wanted to be with us and join us, I mean, this was the highlight of our of our life, to have Malki with us. Um, Shavu is actually, there was, the siblings always also wanted to be there for her. They were trying, but they knew that they still have to make sure that she's okay with it and she's comfortable and she lets, because my son goes like, oh, I would love to come along. And I said, let's see what Malky says. It was very interesting how this whole past year, we felt Brent with her so much 
it was like a real gift. Of course, unfortunately, the sad ending, but it was a gift that we have this past year, all these memories that we were with her. Memories that were built through your efforts to maintain a close connection with her. Yeah. She, she wrote to me a beautiful letter. As a matter of fact, she wrote to me a letter, and as she was writing this letter, my other daughter, the youngest daughter, was with her in the room, and she asked me, um, will I be allowed to see the letter? Uh, because she was sobbing as she was writing this letter to you. Um, another gift that she left us with um, was um, the night before, it was Friday night, and she came to our room to be with us, and um, she was waiting for a friend to arrive, and a friend wasn't there yet, and she was just like, we were like enjoying each other's company, and um, again, as I said, as sad as it was, but at least we have that memory of her spending, cuddling together with her the night before she passed. And another thing comes to mind, that when we knew, when she, there was a time in in the years that she was in California and she was not in a good place and she was doing pretty bad and he had told her at that time how about you move back maybe you move back to New York we would love to have you close to us well, God forbid if the worst were to happen I want you near us and even at that time she um, she said um Oh, we even offered her. We even offered her. How, we, how about we move to you? Or how about wherever you want to move, we're going to move to, so you can be with us. You should be comfortable. And she said, um, no, I'm a grown-up. I'm an adult. And again, not because I'm not married. That's not how it works. You have to move on. Um, so as sad as her ending was, that she's gone, it was a gift that we had her with us, near us, when it happened. Do you have a message based on your six years of experience in this turbulent Pasha to relate to parents who are struggling with similar issues? As hard as it is, and it is a very difficult journey, um, I would say to do the impossible almost, is keep your child home, love your child. Like I've seen once a quote somewhere, somebody asked, I don't know if it was a rebel or a tzaddik or a doctor, and said like, like give love, give lots of love, yeah. And, but what if that doesn't help? So they said, so then double the dosage. So if you see that it doesn't help, that means you're not doing enough. You gotta do even more. Rather, keep the struggling child home and the other children that may be doing okay, not under direct your guidance, maybe they can be a while out of the house. But this struggling child, keep as near as possible and give as much as love as you can. You mentioned you were part of a group the parenting group led by Rabbi Avi Fischer. You have a message to those parents who are being guided by him and for Rabbi Avi himself. For Rabbi Avi himself, that's a tall order. 
for me to give him a message. I'm the one getting the messages from him. For TP parents, I don't know how much I need to add to what Avi already tells them. But there is one thing that I would like to help people with, if possible. At least that's my view of it. We have been with Avi for almost six years and listen to his messages, listen to his talk, listen to read his material. What we have found is consistency unparalleled with any other messaging that we've heard anywhere else. And we have gone elsewhere to hear, to look, to see, to explore, to understand Double check, so to speak, maybe. Sorry, Avi. <laughs> I've never heard Avi needing to balance or prop up his message by contrasting his message with other people's messages. Quite to the contrary. I found him stealing and borrowing from everybody and anybody out there with any correct message, it doesn't matter who it is, it doesn't matter what it is, if somebody says something right that can actually help someone, he'll take that and he will repeat it. Most of the time he'll repeat it in that person's name, if not all the time. Never about him, but only about the child. Avi has a manual that he gives to the parents to read so they can understand um, their struggling children. And as the parents go along on that journey, you sometimes we think that our child find that manual somewhere and read it because literally phrases from Avi's manual are phrases that our the children are using. Yeah, I remember I once told Avi, I think Malki found the manual. <laughs> Um, because she's just simply reading pages out of it. He just truly knows this condition. Unfortunately, a few, and a very, it's a very few kids that are caught up in a, in a terrible state of um, addiction. And Malky was one of them. But for the most part, we've seen tremendous results, unbelievable track record. Yeah, it takes time. So I think that people should take um, she feel comfortable that they're following a true working Oizgehalten method that will help them, will most importantly will help their kids because all the parents need to do is create the proper environment. The rest, the kids will grow and by not doing damage, there will be Siata Deshmaya because if you follow the Torah, you have Siata Deshmaya. Do you have any message you would like to share to the Torah world at large, to Rabbonim, Mechanchem, Askonim, parents who may or may not have to deal with this unfortunate parsha? As a Balbos, I don't feel qualified to send general messages to 
the whole list that you just mentioned. Um, I'm definitely not qualified to give them guidance, but there is guidance. There are people that know. The only thing that I would ever say to anybody is go learn, go figure it out. It's a possibility that you know it all, but then there's a possibility that you're missing something. You can add knowledge to your passion, and when you combine those two, there's nothing stopping you. How would you like, as parents of such a golden-hearted daughter, to call yourself to remember her? Malki was a daughter of Hashem. That's how really Klal Yisrael should remember her. Malki believed wholeheartedly that everything is from Hashem. Everything happens the way Hashem wants it to be. She has also this famous, um, on her Instagram or Facebook, that she left us with for the world to know. She would say, God has three answers. Yes, not right now, and I have something better for you, Malki. And this is how she lives her life. I may not understand, but God has a better plan for me.